Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I'm excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon. I'm honored that you would take some time out of your weekend to dig into the Word of God with me today. We um, have been doing a series on Romans for quite some time, but today's going to be a little different, and we will actually be taking a brief break from Romans for this week. Um, I felt led by God to dedicate some time to something a little different and so this week we will actually be in the book of Colossians talking about identity talking about purpose and some of these big concepts that are very much in the headlines these days and I feel like this is a um, great time to do a little digging into that and so this um, Sunday will be in Colossians and then we will resume in Romans um, next Sunday Lord willing and we'll be going through the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. And there's there's a big concept in here that I'm very excited to share with you and to dig deeper into with you. And so without further ado, let's read Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. And it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In the present age, much talk takes place on the subjects of identity and purpose. We desire to have some means of identification for ourselves and for our people, for us as the one and as the many, the individual and the community. But we never seem to find the right categories to describe ourselves, and we often feel like we don't fit. And often this search for belonging leaves us questioning why we're here. We're looking for something we want to belong, but to what we don't seem to know. And we often find ourselves asking the same sort of questions that Solomon wrestled in Ecclesiastes. It says in chapter 1, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. In short, what is the point? 
If we are so temporary, who and what are we? What matters? What is our identity? What is our purpose? And I believe that there is an answer to all these questions and more within the pages of Scripture. I believe that God's Word is true and relevant to real people with real questions. That the Word of God is not merely a tool for living life, but rather that it reveals to us what and how life truly is. The scriptures are not a means to the truth, they are the truth. What the scriptures illuminate for us is the reality in which we live. God's word allows us to see things as they truly are. It says in Psalm chapter 19 that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The, law, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In short, the word of God is true, but it's the highest truth, that it is the kind of truth that changes things. It changes us. It makes something new. And this is what Paul is illustrating in the book of Colossians. Colossians is an interesting book. The backdrop of Colossians is the church of Colossae is falling into some deep waters. And they're starting to marry the Christian God with some of the pagan religions in the area. And there's this, this hodgepodge of religion. And Paul is telling them about the centrality of Christ. That Christ is the center of all things. And this builds and builds until we get to chapter 3. And now that we've, now that Paul has established that Christ is the center, this is what we should do. This is what God has done. This is what we must do. And that's a pattern we see through much of scripture. What God does, what is done, and what we must do. And so Paul writes to the church about where their life is truly found. And ironically, it is not in themselves. The mysterious paradox of finding ourselves, to use the, the common term, is by denying ourselves. And so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And I have four items before us that I would like to give attention to in this passage regarding the nature of identity and purpose. The first is the precondition for the statement of truth. The direction our minds take in light of this statement of truth, the status of our lives, and where our life is found. And so let's start with number one, the precondition for the statement of truth. That is the, the precursor, what comes before the statement of truth. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. The statement from Paul begins by establishing what God has done. This concept of being hidden with Christ is dependent not on our actions, but on God who raises us with Christ. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The way that we enter into this way of living is by God. God through the cross has raised us in Christ. The reality is that we all live 
We all will live and we all will die. And we will all stand before God one day. The difference is that we can do those things either in Adam, which is to say in sin, or in Christ. That we can live in sin, dead in sin, or alive in Christ. We can die in Adam or in Christ. We can stand before God in Adam or in Christ. And by faith and repentance, Christ raises us who are dead in sin. He raises us up into a new, to give us new life, a new direction, a fresh start. The fact that Christ did this is important because we cannot raise ourselves. Dead men don't grab the life preserver. Paul tells us elsewhere that what goodness could have accomplished, i.e. meeting God's standard of holiness, was weakened by human nature. He calls it the flesh. We by, are by nature are opposed to what is good. Romans eight chapter Romans chapter eight says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. By this we have new life, that does not come from us, but from God, who has shown his mercy. That Christ died on the cross for sin, and he took that punishment for sin. And the, one of the byproducts of that is that we are raised to a point where we can do what we couldn't do on our own. That we are raised to a new height where that is attainable not because we need to earn salvation or earn the favor of god but it's it's an act of gratitude now we are inclined to the things of god and because we're so grateful for this gift of salvation we pursue the things of god we pursue the one who has saved us peter describes to the jews what christ did in this way in acts chapter 2 and he says men of israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He goes on, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Christ came in the form of a man. While maintaining his deity, he lived a perfect, sinless life, the life that you and I could not live, one which none of us has been able to do, or will be able to do. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. That broken 
inner nature of us that makes us wholly opposed to all that is good, according to God's standard. He, he died for that penalty, that running tally of our violations of what God has deemed good. That was transferred to his account. And he suffered for that tally of all of us. And he was raised from the dead and now reigns over heaven and earth as both Lord and Messiah. And this same Christ raised us to new life. One not attainable by any other way. We could not obtain this new life that God gives us outside of Christ. Because sin breaks us. Sin kills us. Sin destroys us. Because of sin, there is something missing in our being. We are incomplete in the sense that sin has sin has busted us up. Our nature is broken. We are broken people because of sin. But grace, through the work of Christ, restores us. It redeems us. Christ raises us up in himself to make us something new, something beautiful that we could not be on our own. Um, one way to illustrate it would be clay pottery. Um, the Japanese have a particular art that they can perform on broken pottery. It's called kintsuki. And what they do is they take the broken bits of a, of a pot or a, or a cup and they glue it together. Glue them, those pieces back together with a very particular glue, and then they cover the excess with gold powder. And the, it becomes a fully usable piece of pottery again. It's sealed, it, it can hold things, it can do what it was originally made to do. But the presence of the gold actually raises the value of what the pot was worth compared to what it was before it was broken. That is what the cross does, is it redeems us. And that, that question of identity is answered, the answer is found in his work. That Christ makes people new. And what we are made now by the cross is more than what we were before we were sinful. Because now we are his redeemed people brought out of bondage to sin and into his marvelous light. Therefore, if we are to understand who we are and for what purpose we are here, we must direct our eyes to Christ rather than to our own devices. Um, one particular theologian who is very helpful in thinking through what all this means is um, a man by the name of St. Augustine. He was a Catholic saint in the 5th century. And while it was a long time ago, Augustine asked all the same questions then that we are asking today. All these same struggles that we have with our purpose, with um, finding the meaning in life, Augustine wrestled with in the 5th century. And he is very relevant to us. Um, as one man wrote, he is the patron saint of restless hearts, that he is very relatable to a restless people such as us. And he once wrote, if I were to ask you why you have believed in Christ, why you have become Christians, every man will answer truly, for the sake of happiness. Because there is something that we don't have 
outside of Christ. That there is a truer fulfillment of things in Christ. That if we really want to find fulfillment, if we want to find belonging, if we want to find completeness, that comes from being united to Christ. So then, the reality of our purpose being revealed in Christ is dependent on whether or not we are raised with Christ. This is not a message of hopelessness. For all who are called upon God are adopted into his family. We enter into this state permanently. And what does this raising up cause us to do? To fix our eyes upon Christ who has raised us. Section number two, the direction our minds take in light of the statement of truth. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. In light of the fact that God has raised us to new life, we direct our minds to the same one who raised us. Matthew Henry comments on these verses, As heaven and earth are contrary one to the other, both cannot be followed together. And affection to the one will weaken and reduce affection to the other. Those that are born again are dead to sin, because its dominion is broken, its power gradually subdued by the operation of grace, and that shall at length be extinguished by the perfection of glory. As it says in Amos chapter 3, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The call of Christ is a is a call to respond to this gift of mercy and to follow him out of the world, out of that darkness into light, to be consumed by his mercy. We are called to something bigger, something grander, something that is incomparable in the world. It says in Galatians that Jerusalem above is free and is the mother of us all, that we all belong to a spiritual Jerusalem. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We don't come to a physical mountain, as the Jews did, to gather and commune with God. We come into the very presence of God himself, because the presence of God has come down to our level. We don't climb a mountain to get to God, because God came down the mountain to come to us. And he, his presence is in our midst. And this is better than anything else. This is not a phase... It's not a means to an end. 
We're not in a cult that offers empty lies to make people feel better about their lives until they die. That is simply not what the, the Word of God is. That's not what the Bible is about. The truth of God shows us what is real. As John Piper explains in his book, Expository Exaltation, preachers do not aim to draw people into their excitement with the shape of literary windows, but with the reality seen through the windows. We aim to draw our people's minds and hearts to the world of glory, through the window of the scriptures. The aim of preaching is that people experience the God-drenched reality perceived through the window of biblical words. Simply put, Christ reigns at the right hand of the Father. Our worldview is founded on that principle. Our lives have a set purpose because God reigns. God is ordering the world according to his own purposes, which we know to be good, righteous, and holy. And immediately, Psalm 115 comes to mind. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the, the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. And what he pleases is the greatest and highest good. Therefore, we place our trust in the ordinations of God. God has ordered the world that he made according to what is good. Not by our lower standard, but by his highest standard of goodness. The framework of our worldview is summed up in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. More specifically, the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our worldview is grounded because God reigns over all things. And how does that relate to us? It reveals to us the status of our life. So if we set our minds on the things above, not on the things of earth. Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your minds on things above, because you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. We have died the way we once lived. We have died in, in the sense of how we once lived. That aimless floating through life, searching for meaning and identity, has died if we are in Christ. And this means that, we all, that all that we have left is the new creation. That old pattern is gone forever, and we are new. And while we will still struggle with that old sin nature, that there will be a remnant that will continue to be subdued until their entrance into heaven that ultimately we are made new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, every Christian has died to sin. If you have not died to sin, you are not a Christian. It is starkly as simple as that. The paradox of the gospel is this. By losing our life, we find it. By fixing our eyes on God, we find out who we are. 
Our identity and our purpose are found by coming to God through the person of Christ. St. Augustine was a Catholic saint, as I said, in the 5th century, who had all the same questions we do. One such question asked by Augustine, if we were to put it in modern terms, would be, what do I want when I want to belong? And he summed up the content of our hearts as a searcher, looking for meaning, looking for truth, looking for belonging, in the opening paragraph of his memoirs. Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Apart from God, our hearts are restless. Apart from God, something is missing here. Fellowship with God makes us whole. It gives us rest. We find that thing which gives us meaning and purpose, and that thing is Christ. Trying to make the world make sense on our own doesn't work. It's exhausting. It's a burden we were never meant to carry. Augustine is real with the disappointments of his life, while directing us to the God who is infinitely greater than life's disappointments. Um, if you would like to know more about St. Augustine, a fantastic book, um, On the Road with St. Augustine by Dr. James K.A. Smith, basically is a guided reader through some of the key points of Augustine's writing and thought. And he makes it very relevant. And it's very evangelistic. It's a fantastic resource. I would um, definitely suggest that. But he sums up Augustine as a weary saint who gives us a map of all the roads with a dead end. Of all those, those places that offered pleasure and disappointed. While leading us to that one road that brings us to a house with many rooms. And a loving father opens the door and says, Welcome home. And he sums it up again in his memoirs. And St. Augustine writes, And behold, thou art at hand, you are close, you are near, and you deliver us from our wretched wanderings, and place us in thy way, and comfort us, and say, Run, I will carry you. I will bring you through. I will carry you. We have a new life hidden in Christ. Our new life is concealed within all that Christ is and in all that Christ has done. It is impossible to capture this grand truth of being hidden with Christ without thinking of Genesis chapter 3. Many of us have heard the story of the fall, of Adam and Eve eating the fruit and being thrown out of the garden. But I want to zero in on the fact that they hid. So Genesis 3 verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When that phrase hid was translated into Greek, 
in what the the Greek-speaking Jews of Jesus' time called the Septuagint, their copy of the Old Testament. That word hid is the same word that appears in Colossians 3 when it says we are hidden in Christ. That circle is completed. We who were once hidden from God, who hid our sin and our shame from God, now are hidden in God, that we are enveloped in his mercy. This is what it means that we are hidden with Christ in God. We are fully kept within that saving relationship with God. We are his, and nothing can change that. Nothing can jeopardize that. We belong to God. And the last point, where is our life found? When we behold this grand truth that we are hidden in God rather than from him, we can then marvel at the fact that the truth of our life, we can then marvel at the truth of the fact that our life is in his hands. We belong to the family of God if we are in Christ. Matthew chapter 16 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. If you truly want to find yourself, to discover your purpose, find the meaning of life, take up your cross, die to yourself, and live in Christ. Let the life of Christ raise you to newness of life, where you are adopted as a child of God, redeemed and kept by God. Because the Son of God has entered into his kingdom, and he is bringing people with him. Not to reign, not to rule his throne, but to be in his family. He has welcomed us into his home. We are his. And in closing, I have one more quote from St. Augustine that ties all this together. And he says, It is as if someone could see his home country from a long way away, but is cut off from it by the sea. He sees where to go, but does not have the means to get there. In the same way, all of us long to reach that secure place of ours where that which it is, because it alone always is as it is. But in between lies the sea of this world through which we are going, even though we already see where we are going. Many, however, do not see where they are going. Thus, so that we might also have the means to go, the one we are longing to go to came here from there. And what did he make? A wooden, a wooden raft for us to cross the sea on. For no one can cross the sea of this world unless carried over it on the cross of Christ. Augustine envisioned the cross of Christ as a raft taking us from this world to the world where our soul longs to be. We only come into that place through Christ. 
apart from Christ, we will not rest in God. Come unto Christ, repent of your sins, lay your life down, and be given a new life in Christ, one of meaning and purpose and belonging in the family of the eternal God. It says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. To use that illustration of the sea, that while we are in the midst of the torrent, in the midst of the crashing waves of world, of the uncertainty of this world, of all these questions that can only be answered in Christ, of trying to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and direction, Christ is a lighthouse. He's a beacon leading us to the shore, leading us to safety, leading us to security. That is what Christ does. That is one of the benefits of the cross. Us being reconciled to God gives us direction, gives us a purpose, gives us a place of safety. We are his and we are kept by him. And this is the God of whom I worship. And I hope that you do too. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.